podcast one production. I remember the day we stopped listening. I was waiting for a tram at Government Center Station in Boston, early 1981. So this is before smartphones, before the web, before, well, before pretty much everything. And like everyone else on that platform, I had no idea when the next tram might roll up. So I waited impatiently. I scanned the platform. And then then my eyes locked onto something really unusual, something I'd never seen before. Down at the other end of the platform, a fellow was wearing, were those headphones? I'd never seen a pair of headphones like that before. They didn't cup the air. Instead, they had small pads resting inside the air. And of course, they had a cable. And as I followed the wire, it led to the second thing I'd never seen before. It seemed, it seemed to be a cassette recorder hanging from his belt. So he was clearly listening to something, music, I guess, all by himself. That's the first time I'd seen Sony's brand new Walkman, and what turned out to be far more important, it's the first time I'd seen those light, powerful, and clear headphones that were packaged with it. Because over nearly 40 years, it's turned out that the Walkman mattered less than those portable headphones. Sony doesn't even sell a Walkman anymore, but portable headphones, they ship with every smartphone. There's at least 4 billion people who own a pair. And I still remember the shock that I felt when I saw that first pair and my immediate reaction, one that came to me before I had a chance even to think about it, was how rude. How rude that someone would simply cut themselves out of the common space of sound shared by all of us and put himself into another private space. Today we think nothing of it. We go around in public in our own private bubbles of sound. And if we're staring down into our smartphones, our own private bubbles of vision. And the more we spend time there, alone, together, the more we seem to get irritated by the public space that we all have to share with others. And I wonder if that's why we seem to have grown less tolerant. It's because we've been growing apart, walling ourselves off. Now, that's not to say this private world of sound is a bad thing. My voice is likely being reproduced in your own pair of headphones. There's a lot to like here. But how much is enough? How much is too much? And how can we know the difference? G'day, I'm Mark Pesci. The coming next billion seconds are the most important in human history as technology transforms the way we live and work. On this third series... We're continuing our conversations with some of the brightest minds shaping our world, charting our path as we voyage into an incredible future. I have a lot of energy. Now, that is not news to people who know me well. But sometimes, well, sometimes it is still news to me. I have a capacity to work and work and work hard unceasingly. And a few years back, I worked myself into complete exhaustion and then actually went well beyond that. It was so far beyond that. By the time I realized how exhausted I'd become, it was nearly beyond my power to stop myself. I had depleted myself so far, even my good sense 
had been depleted, and it took a few weeks of doing absolutely nothing beyond sleeping and reading and watching lots of silly movies before I began to recover. Now, that was an extreme case, and I've learned my lesson. I'll never let that happen again. I've come to a better sense of my limits. Not perfect, of course. Sometimes you can't control your own schedule. We all have periods where things are so intense, we can't help but being depleted. But here's the thing. That's not just the story of any one of us. That's now the story of all of us. We have been hurtled headlong into a culture of constant connectivity. And while that has brought some amazing benefits, it also means that there is now no longer any quiet because someone somewhere is always up, always needing. And we feel the weight all of the time. And we're struggling with that, with the cost of connection. And we really haven't found our way through it. But, well... What if the solution is utterly obvious? So obvious that it's been part of our culture for over 3,000 years. What if the past contains a cure that we've overlooked or simply forgotten? Here to remind us of something that we already know is filmmaker, cultural critic, and author Tiffany Schlein. 24-6, the title of her beautiful, sweet, and wise new book, says it all if we can find the time to listen. Tiffany, welcome to the next billion seconds. It is so good to be here. So the story you open your book with is one of those combinations of sadness and joy that is just it's where the humanity of your book just starts shining through. Your father, Leonard, passed away, and then just a few days later, your daughter, Bluma, was born. How did that lead to all of this? Well, when you have those two profound moments really collide with each other, it just makes you stop and think, what am I doing while I'm here? You don't know how long you're going to be here. And how do you live a meaningful life within within that unknown? And I knew personally that I was feeling way too distracted and that I was never feeling present. And uh, my husband, Ken Goldberg, who I know has been on the show, um, and I, uh, we decided to start turning off all screens from Friday to Saturday night for what we call our technology Shabbats. And I should say we're Jewish, but we are culturally Jewish and we're not religious. So the only people I knew that took a full day off were Orthodox Jews and then no driving, no electricity. It was like a very extreme thing. And I used to always look at that and go, oh, that's interesting. That's so not me. So I think it's been really exciting for Ken and I and the long, we've done it now for a decade, is to really engage with this deep wisdom from thousands of years old and reframe it in the 21st century. So a true day of rest, it's the fourth commandment above do not commit murder. It says, take a full day of rest. Here on the list of the ethics for living a good because life. Because let's face it, if you're less rested- or if You you're, might commit murder. Yeah. No. If, certainly if you're more rested, you're going to be less murderous, right? Just <laughs> as a baseline there. The baseline be less murderous. But, and so um, it is literally the best thing I've ever done in my life. I feel so much better, grounded, more productive, more creative, more present. That one day kind of ripples throughout the other six. So what do you do? What is the actual practice there? Uh, when you and Ken got this idea, what did you say? Well, well, we were originally part of this group that did a National Day of Unplugging. And that was like supposed to be one ceremonial day to rethink the Sabbath in the 21st century. And we turned off all screens, had a lovely Shabbat meal with family and friends. And um, 
and for 24 hours. Now, it was felt so good. It felt like I got my mind back and my soul back and my being back because we're like marionette dolls where we're just like reacting and being influenced by so many other things right now with that frigging phone. Well, I mean, I always think of it as it's, the phone can has this capacity to hold you in fascination in the old sense of that word that it will fascinate you and it spirits a little bit of your spirit away when it does that, right? And if there are enough devices and enough screens around, so much of you has sort of been spirited away. Absolutely. And I think people have forgotten how to exist without it. So one day every week, we fully remember how to exist without it. And it's delicious. I mean, it's our favorite day of the week. We think of, you know, and anyone hearing this that thinks, well, could I do this? I would just ask, what do you wish you had more time to do? Mm. Everybody has that list. And right now, even reading, you're reading a book and you think of something, you're on your phone, you're off that. You do this, you start to paint, you're playing your guitar, you and you're off of it. So it's like this incredible sacred day to do all the things you love doing, even if it's just doing nothing and just lying and daydreaming. I do a lot of daydreaming and reflecting and thinking without being influenced by so many other things. And and that, you know, every great wisdom practice talks about the need for stillness, reflection, silence, even without listening. Like now, after I did all this research for the book on silence, it says you need two hours of silence a day. So in times when I would normally put on a podcast or listen to music, I try to just really be with my own thoughts because we don't get any, we don't get enough of that now. And then of course on my tech Shabbats. So Friday night is very social. Saturday is filled with kind of hanging out, you know, we cook, we read, we journal, space out, do nothing, nap. It's delicious. It's great. In other words, what you've done is you've taken the idea of this very structured, managed, connected time, and you've said actually the opposite is not just valuable, but almost more valuable because that's the rare commodity now. Yes. I mean, when time is the commodity, to have time like that is to be truly rich. And I think you you mentioned that quote in the book, this writer that talks about how starved we are for time and that we've pretty much given away our data and we've given everyone access to our time and our our thoughts. Mm -hmm. So when you're that connected 24-7, what we don't realize is that we can regulate our own use and to take this full day off, it's profound. It feels, um, I feel like I got a part of myself back. And it's... (laughs) Odd to see this, but both of us are old enough to note that there was a time not that long ago when most time was disconnected time, that that was actually the normal way to be. Well, that's true. I mean, when I was founding the Webby Awards, when we first met in the 90s, the mid 90s, the hope was that the internet and it was going to connect people and ideas in all of these new ways. And it did. And it did. But I never imagined 22 years later that we would be disconnected from the people and ideas happening right in front of us. That's what I didn't imagine. Head down, staring at the screen. And listen, I'm sure like you, there's going to be a day when it's not screens. It's some other form of augmented augmented reality. But it's still about being in streams and not being where you are. So I talk about head down on screens right now, but in the future, who knows? It could be contact lenses. You could be blinking instead of clicking, but you want about being, what we're really talking about is about being present and not connected to the network. 
Yeah. And you, you talk about, and we had uh, Fiona Caron two episodes ago talking about connection and the importance of connection for children and adults, but the eye-to-eye contact and the fact that children actually need this because it's important for their brains yeah, to grow. To grow, that, it's fundamental. That it's a kind of food. And we don't think of our relationality one to another, this physical relationality as a kind of food and that we can be malnourished even though we think of ourselves as being profoundly well-connected. That's interesting about malnourished because I I know a lot of people use the term addicted to our phones. And I worked with this, um, I'm on the advisory board at this Center for Child and Media at Harvard. And there's a great doctor there who runs it, Dr. Michael Rich, and he does not like the word addiction. And he said, addiction assumes that you can abstain completely mm-hmm. it's better to use the word binge binge like binge eating because this is much more about regulation so then when you're self-regulation so when you're saying this idea of malnourished it's interesting right well, because junk food, eating well, junk food it's like eating sh- processed sugar when you're and i know when i'm on too much i feel bad i feel i feel bad my brain feels bad i even I, this is a word i've been thinking about. i even feel a sense of shame that i'm like why am I not with what's happening right now? And I'm buried in the phone. Because, you know, of course, I'm human. Those other six days, I can find myself down the rabbit hole, especially I've been traveling a lot in the book tour. Like, Tiffany, get off the phone. Like, I say that to myself. Like, that's the refrain. <laughs> yeah. Too much right now. Yeah. Yeah, I'll turn off the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, you know, I, I found for myself, so last year, and I've been very public about this, that I had a very severe Twitter addiction, right? So I tweeted 300,000 times in 11 years. Yes. It was wow. Then, and then- You binge Twitter. You I, binge tweet. <laughs> I, I, but, I, but I binged all of the time. There was no time that wasn't connected to Twitter or binging. And then at this period of depletion, I just said, I have to unplug for a little bit. And it turned out that that immediately made me started feeling better. And so now I use of Twitter, and I still do use it, but it's to tell people I have a podcast coming out right. or that. It's much be more intentional. It's intentional. It's, it's not absolutely intentional now. It's not just this sort of default form of connectivity. So that it's that regulation around it. That's right. And I, I do. I have a whole chapter about social media in the book because the pros and cons. Because you know you have like Jaron Lanier who's like get rid of all of them. Well, burn it. You have a new book or a podcast. That's not exactly realistic unless you have your own publishing company, your own broadcast company. Um, but I'm trying to be much more intentional. Like I'm having to put, you know, Instagram was never something I posted on, but for the book, I'm posting more uh, when I go to an event, when I have a, I'm going to a city at a, a, you know, for a book event, but I really do try to be intentional with the way I use it. And I think that is in general, the biggest message of the book. And I think the question of our times, when does being on the network or on a screen make things better? And when does it diminish the experience? When should it be on and when should it be off? And I feel as though, and this is where the guilt is coming from, we actually always know the answer to that. We yes. don't always listen well, we to are, the aren't, answer aren't to quiet that. enough. We don't have enough quiet time to really listen to what we know is to be true. I mean, uh, yes, you're exactly right. That is, it's, we know this. We know looking at your phone instead of your child is not a good idea all the time. Even I read <laughs> that do- no. dogs are getting anxious because their owners aren't looking at them. They're scrolling all the time. Like eye contact is fundamental to being human. Well, and, and dogs are a social species as well. So again, course, they're craving eye contact, right? Craving. How do you know that you're doing the right thing? How do you know you're okay with your master? Yes. I mean, so I think all of these things, we just, we're in this kind of, like the Wally movie, we're just like, you know, with these screens and eating too much sugar. And it's like, okay, I feel like this book was my attempt to go like shake society by the shoulders and go, okay, we know that it's brought a lot of great things, but not 24 seven. And your role as a human being, 
is to know when to turn it off. And I'm going to share with you this great practice we've done for a decade that's made it so much more clear. I think we need the, the excitement about technology when we were young pishers, not peshiers, but pishers, pishers. which is Yiddish for young, um, was the excitement was it was going to erase all boundaries between countries, between people. It erased too many boundaries. We need some boundaries back. We need some boundaries when we're not on, when we can reflect and regroup. And this so tech Shabbat is a boundary that works. Here's the thing. And, and, and because I, I do see people have a lot of anxiety around this. And I give them a pass because the first thing I tell them, this is new for all of us. None of us got a manual Mm -hmm. on how this was going to sweep in and completely run our lives, right. right? And so we are all learning this. And that is empowering as well because it means they stop blaming themselves, mm -hmm. right? They get rid of the shame and the- Get rid of the shame. And then you say, and look at this, this simple thing. This is what you're saying. There's this simple way of reframing time to say that there's just one day when the most important thing you can do is to be connected to yourself and the people that you love in the room that you're in not to the rest of the world because the rest of the world is going to go on being its own thing and don't worry, it's going to be there when you get back to it. Yeah. Right? The emails will still be there. Your anxieties will still be there. But just even that. And I guess the question is, how do we get to give ourselves permission? We've given ourselves permission for not beating ourselves up for getting this wrong. How do we get to give ourselves permission to be able to take that time? Because I think at some level people are guilty because it almost seems decadent or selfish. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because I don't even like to, you know, I know the term self-care has become this common term, which rubs me the wrong way for some reason. I don't know that's probably a whole other issue, but... You know, it's the kind of the concept when you take care of yourself and the people around you, you'll be able to contribute to your community and the world better. So by, and there is so much fear for people. I mean, people say, well, oh my God, what, how will I get in touch with people? How will they get in touch with me? I'm like, for a day, it's kind of good to not get in touch with anybody. Read, think, reflect, be. And if you really need to get a landline, which we have, which I highly recommend for real emergencies like we just had in California, like wildfires, when all the cell phone towers went down and no one could communicate, so landlines are good for multiple reasons. But um, I think there's a lot of fear, which I'm, you know, I think there's a lot of fear of being by yourself. I mean, I think that's fundamental. Well, for people fundamental. who are, have not experienced that in some cases forever, if they're young or in our yeah. case for 20 years. Well, I, but we, and I was talking with Ken, we were traveling, we went to Budapest and we were talking about when we had first traveled when in our 20s and we both had traveled alone for a period of time and how important that was for our development to just be by yourself. And even if it was a little uncomfortable, but you really understood who you were, you observed things better and you kind of knew your what you were made of more. And there's not a second now to just be with oneself and kind of understand what you're really thinking because you're constantly being bombarded on Twitter and news feeds and what everyone else is thinking. What are you thinking? What is your inner voice saying? What does it mean to quiet that, all that noise? What What is that? That's usually when I can hear my inner voice is when I quiet all that noise. So, And I your inner it, voice is saying, okay, Tiffany, put down the phone. Well, that's my voice. It's actually funny you say that because my voice during the week is turn off the phone. Yeah. On Tech Shabbat, it tells me some really deep things. Some beautiful things. Beautiful things. Make that film, write that book, do that thing, express to someone better how you feel about them. It's all the beautiful things. And I think mostly what's coming at us, and you know, as we're heading towards the holidays, I've been thinking a lot that the online world fuels a state of want. 
what you don't have. FOMO. FOMO, FOMO, stressful news. You can't get enough. Things you want to buy, do, click. Things you weren't at. You want it. You want it. Want, 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 want. And then when you turn it off, you're thankful for what's right in front of you. So the simplest way to be grateful and thankful and appreciate is to turn it, the online world off. And just be where you are with Look the people that you love, doing the things right that are important. in front of you instead of feeling all the things you're not at or that you can't do. You're like, you suddenly open your eyes to what's right in front of you. I have to ask, why does this, because it in some ways sounds weirdly revolutionary, even though it's clearly, I know, I know but it's clearly... Just good sense, right? How did we get so far from our our, well, lot, our moorings yeah, on this? Yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of people can't believe how long we've done it, too. They're like, well, people are just talking about this addiction stuff in the last several years, but you've been doing it for 10 years. And I, again, I do think it was that dramatic life event that many people will say when someone dies or, you know, it shakes you awake. And... Um, There's no question about that. Yeah, I think if someone close dies to you, it shakes you it awake. Shakes you and awake. in fact, that's part of their gift in passing yeah. is that what they're giving you as they pass, because is. I just lost my father, same thing happened as I got awakened. Got awakened. And for some, I'm so sorry for your loss. Um, and you knew my dad. And yeah, you oh, your to my dad, dad was an amazing he human was amazing. being. And you know, one of the things in, in terms of what you're saying about a gift is that at his funeral, what everyone said to me in different ways was, your, mo- your father made me feel like the most important person in the room. He was so present. And I felt like the day he died, that's around the time the smartphones came out and everyone got really addicted, was the day that kind of presence died. So in many ways, reclaiming this day is in honor of his true presence. Because when you talk to him, it was like there was nothing else more important. And now whoever you're talking to, they've got their phone in their hand and everything is more important in that phone. And even seeing their phone off on the table will make you think that something more important is about to happen. And we're back on the next billion seconds talking to 24-6 author Tiffany Schlein. Now, Tiffany, you have two daughters. Yes. One is 16, one's 10. Yeah, so right. teen and tween. Teen and tween, so like very like serious teen and tween. How do they react to this unpluggingness that you folks are doing every week? They love it. I mean, that's the most shocking thing to people. And that's why I bring brought them to a couple of book events. I'm like, just listen to them talk about it. People can't imagine their kids would be okay without being on the screens. But, you know, first of all, Odessa is in her junior year of high school. It's the most stressful year of high school of her life so far. And every week she says, I'm so grateful. I can not do homework, not be posting, not be on for right. one day. Right, exactly. It, not be on, not be on the treadmill. Not be on for one day. And she feels so replenished. And, you know, there's a couple times a year for each of us that there's some event we can't do it. I've had a book tour. I had to go to Canada. She had some junior state program and she couldn't do it. And we all comment on how if we don't do our tech Shabbat, we feel ungrounded. And then, you know, our, our youngest, she's more apt to say, I'm bored. But I'll tell you something. We sit with that and she'll say, and I'm like, okay, uh, well, I, I have a list of things to do after that. But if we, she's really in that space, almost 100% of the time, it leads to something fabulous. Like it's uncomfortable for that moment because she's not being stimulated. And I'll tell you something, every time if your kid is bored and they go to that screen, what does that strengthen in their synapses? It strengthens, I am going to go to the screen to be fulfilled. I'm going to have a piece of candy. Exactly. So I we sit with that, and she has come up with the most creative or funny things when she was at that precipice of boredom, and we just kind of pushed through it. Um, and I, this is, I've always felt about boredom. The boredom is 
your mind actually working really hard behind the scenes and not kind of letting you in on it yet. And oh, so that if you can sit with it. it, if you don't short circuit it by sitting in front of the screen, yes. something's actually being Amazing. born. Oh, I, now that I've made, uh, I made a film, The Neuroscience Behind Daydreaming, with that same doctor, Dr. Michael Rich, who's brilliant. And he was teaching me a lot about the default mode network, yes. which is basically... There's the task positive network when you're focused on something and when you're not focused on something, you're daydreaming and things are connecting in your mind that never would normally connect because you're letting it lie fallow. So now that I know, and you know, I treat creativity like an athlete because I'm a filmmaker. I'm always, what's going to make me more juicy and creative? And um, now because I know when you're doing the dishes, when you're exercising, when you're spacing out, all of these things promote the default mode network. I get into it. Now I love doing the dishes because I just, what's going to happen? I love road trips for that same reason. I have so many creative ideas when I'm not thinking of something specifically. Exactly. You and know, when I, think, I, when, yeah. I go in, when I go and have a swim or a run, yes, right? Yeah, swims it's like, are great like it's, that. It, you know, in some ways you're deeply in your body, but in your mind's just like, yeah, putting it's one foot leash. in front of the other. That's right? what I think, it's, it's, it's off, off leash. leash. Yeah, and it really, so if people can value that in themselves and their kids. It's such an important skill to give space for. So here's something that I have been thinking deeply on. And this is the first time I think I'll, I'll say this in the podcast, but I feel as though one of the great losses with, with all of the connectivity devices is that we've lost our time to daydream and that that's actually made us less able to solve the problems that we have in the world. And one reason we feel a bit overwhelmed by the world these days is because we feel less up to it because we're spending less time in that daydreamy state where we're going to find all of the interesting, unique, wonderful human solutions. I completely agree. We, you know, having the space a full day each week, and there is real wisdom in being a full 24 hours to think big picture thoughts, to daydream is when you usually have those bigger picture thoughts we need it so much right now. And like you like you said, we are living in an experiment. We have never been like this before. We are, the pendulum has swung so far over to this 24 seven world. I don't know why 24 seven should ever be a goal. Like it was like, we're open 24 seven. This is 24 seven. It's like, wait a second. Is that a really good way to live? Like, is that a burnout mode or is that, is that, should that be a goal? I don't think so. And I think we need to value reflection and value space to think. And to be, and that's what we're really talking about. And, you know, there's been a, we waited really long to get our oldest uh, smartphone just from our gut, just for like, that ah, doesn't feel like such a great idea to get her a smartphone. She's a, it's a big reader. She still is. And most people that had gotten their kids smartphones, they stopped reading. And we had heard that. Like, yeah, we can get our flip phone. And we were complete outliers. I mean, people just, they, they said things to me like, you're going to leave her out of the fabric of society. And I was like, no, we're not. She's she's 10. <laughs> so, so, we're, she's, and, we're good. And look at her parents. Yeah, you know, we're not are worried. Not, are not hermits. We're not worried. So, but, you know, and so we were alone at that period. And Ken and I had so many discussions. I made a couple of films about it. One's called Parent Technology, where I really kind of showed the wrestling and what we thought. We had a lot of Neil Postman again, you know. And now our younger daughter, who's 10, times have changed so much because all the research is coming out, you know. Yeah. Suicide attempts have doubled since the smartphone came out. Um, issues of mental health issues are so much higher now because it's so exasperated by the social media. Well, and I mean, children's brains are still forming. They're learning how to regulate. Yes. And that's, this is, you know, this is, and frankly, what we know from brain function is that we, uh, particularly in men, we don't know how to correctly regulate until our 30s. 
Is that right? right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Men are just... Oh, my God. Higher cortical function takes time. <laughs> it's not that we can't do it, but the reason, for instance, the younger men have higher propensity to violence and whatnot, right? Mm, so we the have, regulation. Yeah, we have less ability to inhibit our behavior. It grows, but it grows very slowly. It's sort of the last human Well, capacity. I know the prefrontal cortex is like the most evolved part of the brain. So the reptilian brain is the primal amygdala react, respond, desire, and then Fair, the prefrontal cortex. Right, but the prefrontal cortex is is the regulation part, but I didn't realize how much slower it was in men, but that does explain things. <laughs> it does. But um, yeah, so if, if you're giving them something that is going to um, change that, because really, again, because it back changes to, the reward structure, right? It rewards sure, the dopamine, and yes. And when you change the reward structure, you are literally intervening in behavior, for sure. And we're, yeah, that's what we're really talking about is behavior. And the prefrontal cortex is really known as the filter between the emotional brain and the thinking brain. And it makes you take a beat and say, "Is what I'm about to say or do a reflection of who I am?" So it's the filter. The more you ask that that question the stronger that filter would become. So the, what the smartphone has done and Twitter and posting and all this kind of blah, spilling every thought that you've ever had without hesitation 24-7 is there's no... How dare you talk about the president <laughs> like that? <laughs> He's all amygdala. He's reptilian brain gone wrong. He's the epitome of a 24-7 distracted culture. He's the master of distraction. I have a whole yeah, a lot of thoughts about that. We don't want to become him or let him define our world. But... Um, if you, you need to create value in a- asking that intention question, asking that regulation question, because then you'll strengthen that part. And that's what Texture Bart does every week. We are truly strengthening that part of our brain so it ripples throughout the week. Too. Well, in any practice, meditation practice, prayer practice, whatever, going back to it regularly strengthens that. And exercise. Yeah, exactly. It's I had some trainers come to a book talk. I'm like, talk to us about the importance of muscle memory, because that's what we're talking about. Even the muscle memory of reaching for your phone every second. And I've done all these interventions. Like I, I keep a day planner, um, a printed day planner, just because um, I'm trying to limit when I'm reaching for the phone because that'll take me down a rabbit hole for so long. What am I really looking at? I want to look at my week. I want to think about my week. And I don't want to then be bombarded with 20 notifications and have my mind go off in a million directions that I wasn't intending to go on. Okay, part of this is that we're waging a war here, right? And, uh, you know, there's an unequal balance of power, which is that a lot of these companies are building software and Facebook is is, is the category example for this yeah. that's designed to agitate you and to keep you attached to it. Right, and that that was the business model part in the 90s. I mean, if we really look to where this started, because our hopes was this decentralized network, Right, that you could travel freely between these websites when it was much funkier and alt back in the day. So when it became um, centralized and corporate and when we were giving our data away for free mm-hmm. and then they're monetizing it, now they have you know thousands of behavioral scientists and engineers that are looking at your every yes. move and saying, how can we manipulate their moves to buy something or vote for something or think something or do something or go somewhere? So how can you compete with thousands of engineers and behavioral scientists directed at your brain to influence your actions? And I guess the question is you compete with them by putting the device that That's they're right. using That's right. You turn it away. off and you get your power back. Exactly. And, but, and, and it's that. And everything has made us afraid of turning that off because we feel as though if we turn it off, we lose our power rather than gaining our Wait, power. I love that. Thank you. That's 
it's so good because I've been really struck by the fear. People are like, oh my God, I don't think I could do that. You're right. It's because they are mistaking what the power is. They are giving their power to this device, this smartphone that really makes it do all the thinking for you in some ways. And we really need to understand that our power is ourselves by turning it off. But I love the way you just framed that. Okay. So when we think about time and we have this idea of the Shabbat, so every sort of Saturday, whatever, should we be also then every time we look at a calendar, whether that's a digital calendar or a printed calendar, should we be now looking at where is my time to be myself in that calendar? Yes. Because it feels as though if we make that an intention, so it's not just, oh, I'm being productive or I'm being with friends or whatever, but there's where is my time in that. Yeah, I think that's right. That looking, and actually maybe that's why I look at, like looking at a day planner because it shows the week. Yeah. And it's interesting when you're looking digitally, you're usually only seeing the day, your day's events. But on my day planner, I see the whole week. So it shows me the rhythm of the week. And always by Wednesday, I'm starting to look forward to Friday night. We always have friends over, family over, neighbors. It's always a very fun social dinner party every Friday night. And I know the screens will be off and I'll get my mind back. And then Saturdays, that's the day. When, I mean, Ken and I will even say, oh, let's say, let's talk about that on Saturday. Or I have articles and magazines that I think are, or I see on Twitter that looks so interesting. I'm like, I know I can't read it during the week. I'm going to read it on Saturday. So the long reads. Yeah, the long reads, because we're skim reading now. We're not deeply reading. So, you know, stuff starts to pile up by like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, art projects, cookbooks, things I want to read. It becomes the most wonderful day. Um, my ukulele, whatever I want to do, <laughs> I don't have time to do during the week. So I think it's, um, it is about carving out, but I feel like instead of calling it me time, it's like be time, think mm, time. Be time. Yeah, it's be time like because that. it's really about just being and, and whatever that manifests, whatever, if it's to connect with someone you love, it's to connect with a friend, if it's to connect with yourself, it's to think and just let your mind go off leash and stretch out. But it's remembering how to be without this device dictating so much of that. And you quote Sherry Turkle in the yeah. book, and you know her book alone together was yeah. really the Seminal. first yeah. book that started to go, just a minute, folks, right? There's another side to this that, that in fact, oh, I can see it, it's on the bookshelf right it's behind right you. I love exactly. Sherry, yeah, she's great. Um, that there's this idea that all of this relationality that we think that we're having when we're connected on Twitter, on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, but that's actually just in our heads. It's not giving us the the actual rejuvenation. Right. It's like, it's a, um, it's, and you know, I think there's been so many writers of technology. It doesn't replace something. It's additive. Nothing will replace looking at you right now and having this deep conversation. I mean, it's actually kind of an interesting thing because I remember when the Webbies were starting, as we were all crouching towards the computer, yoga became really big. Yeah. Right, we're all stretching backwards yeah. and realigning our bodies. And as everyone's become more distracted, you know, I'm doing a lot of podcasts for the book, and it's probably the most intense, beautiful, focused conversation I have is on a podcast because we're like eight inches from each other with a microphone, and we're not doing anything but thinking deeply together. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like the reaction to the distracted culture is the podcast culture, yeah. which is about deep. You know, Krista Tippett calls it deep, generous listening. Yes. Yes. Right? So there's some and you have to bring, and the thing is, both of us also have to bring ourselves, right? Yeah. That's the, you know, we can't be, I can't be a facade, you can't be a facade, right. you're you not just to, a message. Yeah. There's, there's people here. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's so many great, I mean, 
Ken's parents live far away, so FaceTime. There's so many beautiful ways, but again, nothing's going to replace being in a room with someone you love and doing something with them or hanging out with them. And all of these fancy, shiny devices can't come in the way of that. And right now what you're seeing is a lot of people together and they've all got their phones on the table or they're talking and scrolling and it's like, uh, hello, people. So I have to say... You know, and I, I mean this gently to my podcast listeners, but one of the things that I've done in public now is I've taken my headphones out, right? Then, in fact, I feel like there's something very important to be connected to the world that we're walking through. And that in some ways, because we have this problem that people have stopped listening to one another, mm. that maybe it's because we always have something else jammed into our ears. And, and I, don't, I don't want to oversimplify anything, but it feels like there's all of these different relationships so that when the headphones go in, they go in for a reason, mm. right? Okay, so I'm concentrating because I'm writing, so the headphones are in. Or I'm on a phone call and the headphones are in. But the default isn't the headphone state. Yeah, that's, that's the so special great. state. Right. right. And you say, okay, that's the technology. It's the special state. We could do it all the time, but why? That's a great point. No, the earbuds, and it's funny because they kind of just like stick out yeah. and they look like these big like antennas saying, yeah. I'm not here. I'm I'm somewhere else. I'm somewhere else. And I think that is, I mean, I also feel that way with the phone where there's so many interactions that I feel like sew together the fabric of society. Like when you're at the library or a cafe or, and people used to have chit chat. <laughs> and as mindless as that seemed, it was it's important to lift your eyes up from the phone and don't mumble and grunt your way through interactions and actually say, thank you for that coffee or um, you know, make eye contact, have a simple form of acknowledgement because right now we're all just grunting and mumbling and things stuck in our ears. It's like- Brains. <laughs> it's, the zo- it's the zombie mode, right? Zombie mode. It really is. And the thing is, and again, you talk about this in the book that- All of those interactions don't cost you, they give you, right? That they make you happier. They make the people around you happier. They're expressing gratitude, receiving gratitude. Actually, not only are these just basic human things, they're actually all good for you. And we didn't know it until we stopped doing it. Right, and that is the really stunning thing. I mean, even the wildfires and I don't know, do they cover that in Australia? Oh, very. Very much. Well, it was interesting because, you know, everyone lost power and... What a lot of people said to me, they were eating dinner by candlelight, playing cards. The first night was very fun. The first day was very fun for everyone. It's like, oh, this is like a different way to exist. I mean, we weren't in harm's way. We were far away from the fires, but we did. they did shut off our power. And I was thinking about the texture box because the first day, it is very fun. Every week, it's very fun to be connected in that way where you do things a little differently. You don't. We're not using candlelight, but we're kind of just doing things differently. And I think that it's just, it's good to remember that you can do things differently and how good it can feel. And I think we need to remember how good it feels to just be without a lot of um, connectivity. And again, I think people have fear, but when they flip the way they're looking at it, and I think it's a lot about what you said about the power, what do I get back? And you do, you turn off the screens and you suddenly are not in a state of want, but you're in a state of gratitude. Saturdays are the days where I, I see the flowers in my garden. I'm just appreciating my home. I'm laughing more. I laugh so much on Saturdays. I and mean, this is really interesting to me because I love to laugh. And I just, I see the funny more and then I let myself go more. It's a lot about letting go too, because when we're on connected, we're not letting go. We're like in it. We're in we're, the network. We're, we're holding on to we're something. We're holding on. But when you let go, just your whole body language, I, I sleep better. I laugh more. I appreciate more. 
I feel more connected. It's the best day. All right, let's give our listeners, what are your best hints for getting started and making a practice out of this? What should people just, you know, without being sort of didactic, how do people get started? Well, I mean, of course, I do think they should read the book because I do talk about my own journey with it. And I was about the most connected person you knew, right? I mean... Roughly. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... You'd have some competition, but roughly. Not the most, but I was up there in oh, loving yeah. technology all the time. Well, actually, I used to always say, I love it, I hate it, I love it, I hate it. But I was very connected. And I think, um, I think the number one thing is write a list of what you wish you had more time to do. Uh-huh. That's a fun list anyways. Because then it becomes a draw. It's like, oh, it's those draw. are all the things I get to <gasps> yes, do. Yes, it's not depriving yourself. It's what you get. The other thing is I'd fi- find a friend, someone to do it with you. I mean, if you have a partner and kids, the whole family it has to be all in. But if not, I find a friend to do it with you because everything's more fun with someone. Um, and then I would look at your calendar and mark out four weekends in a row because it's not about, a lot of people say, oh, I do it on vacation or I, no, this is the power of this is the ritual of a weekly practice. It's that we do it every weekend, every weekend, except for a handful of weeks a year when we have to travel. But so put in your calendar, get a day planner, put in your calendar four weekends in a row that you're going to do this and alert people in your life and make it fun. Invite people over, cook together, do things that you love doing and um, and get a landline. And uh, they're very cheap. And uh, and also, um, you know, start thinking of what would be in your pile. Would it have a cookbook? Would it have a musical instrument? Do you want to learn a musical instrument? Would it have watercolors? Would it just have articles? Would you just want to sit on the couch and stare at the ceiling? That's perfectly legitimate. I mean, you were saying how much your body just needed to unwind. But I would I would ask you to think about the things that don't involve screens because we don't realize how good and needed that feels to our spirit and our soul. Tiffany, it has been an absolute pleasure to connect with you oh, yes, about indeed. this topic. Thank you for being on The Next Billion Seconds. Thank you so much for having me. A few days before we recorded this interview with Tiffany Schlein, there was a story out of Japan, which is a land where nearly everyone overworks. And it caused a bit of a stir. Microsoft Japan moved their employees to a four-day week as a, as a test. Counterintuitively, productivity at Microsoft Japan soared by 40%. So when Tiffany Schlein asserts that, quote, to reclaim time is to be rich, end quote. She's not just talking about our inner lives or our relationships. There is a real material quality to this insight. And it could be that being so time poor is actually making us materially poorer. So rest and grow rich. Has our conversation gotten you to thinking about all the ways we can find time to put our connectivity on pause? If so, we'd like to hear from you. Drop by our website, leave us a message on LinkedIn, tell us what you want to know about the future. We'll do our best to bring it to you in a future episode. And this brings to the end Series 3 of The Next Billion Seconds. We have looked deep into the culture we've created and hopefully, hopefully we've learned some things about ourselves that we can put to work, such as how to find the pause button. And with that, the next billion seconds is going on pause. Big thanks to Tiffany Schlein for coming on to our show. The next billion seconds was written and presented by Mark Pesci, created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia, producer Alex Mitchell, and sound production Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app, or search the next billion seconds on Apple Podcasts. This is Mark Pesci, thanking you for listening. <laughs>